Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small batch rum embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. Oxbowrumdistillery.com. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Louisiana is known as sportsman's paradise because of the abundant fish and game that make for good hunting and fishing. And that's created something of a culture, one admittedly shared by many states in the South and West, that loves to hunt and fish. It's also created opportunities for local entrepreneurs and businesses. Joining me today to discuss this is Lori Lipsy Aronson, President and CEO of Lipsy's, the Baton Rouge-based company that has grown to become the largest firearms distributor to licensed firearms retailers in the whole United States. Lipsy's was founded in the early 1950s as a wholesale hunting and fishing distributor named SNS Sporting Goods. Lori's father, Richard Lipsy, changed the name when he and members of his family acquired the company in the 1970s and began to expand. Today, Lipsy's leads the industry in the collaboration and distribution of exclusive firearms. It also sells various other products, short barrel rifles, and accessories. Lori grew up learning the business from her dad and became chairwoman and CEO in 1993. She also leads another family business, Haskell's, which created the original seersucker suit in New Orleans in 1909 and now offers a really cool collection of men's clothing and accessories that Lori has helped expand and diversify. Lori was one of our very first guests on Out to Lunch. And so, Lori, it's a pleasure to have you back here today and update us on what you've been doing running two companies and all sorts of exciting things. Thank you, Stephanie, very much. I am so pleased to be back, and um, I love uh, doing this forum and you know letting y'all know what's going on um, in our company and in Baton Rouge and how we're growing. So thank you. Well, thank you. With me and Lori at the table today is Logan Moe, founder and CEO of Mallard Bay, a platform for sportsmen looking to book hunting and fishing trips with charters anywhere in the U.S. The platform is like an Airbnb for sportsmen seeking accommodations with real-time availability, secure payments, quality assurance, and help with arranging lodging and meals along with a guided hunt. Logan is a recent LSU graduate who was inspired to create this platform after having a particularly difficult time booking a hunting trip for his dad's birthday. He got together with two friends, both then students at LSU, to create the company, and they put together a team of business and computer science students and alumni to help with the development. They launched in early 2022, and in the short time since then, Mallard Bay has won pitch competitions, attracted local and national publicity, and has 1,200 users to their name. Pretty impressive for a first gig right out of college, but then Logan kind of comes by it naturally. His dad is Chris Mo, founder and CEO of Waiter. So, Logan, really cool to have you on the show and so excited about this great idea. So. Well, 
Thank you so much, Stephanie, for having me. And we can talk about hunting and fishing, about which I know nothing. So. <laughs> well, we <laughs> know plenty about the industry, <laughs> and I, I'm excited to learn uh, more from you, Lori, about you know what your insight is on the industry as a whole. Well, Lori, Lipsy's started out by selling hunting and fishing gear, and then expanded into athletic gear, and then your family sort of spun off that business and and divested themselves of it. Um, how did how did that all work, and, and what's been going on with the company? In so years. what we've done over the year is over the, the past several decades, uh, which, by the way, we are going to be celebrating our 70th year in the wholesale business next year. We're really looking at you know ways we can change and develop for our customers. And our mm-hmm. customers are the federally federally licensed firearms retailers in the country and just like you said we used to be in the hunting and fishing business we were in footwear we were the owners of the converse brand in the 70s and 80s but in the late 80s we realized that the markets were changing the retailers were changing the industry was changing and it was time to focus on just firearms Mm -hmm. so over the year again as as technology has developed we have found ways to better serve our it's now almost 15,000 retailers wow. in the country who we serve, uh, but we're strictly firearms wholesale today. Mm-hmm. So you could go to your website and look at different products, but you don't, you couldn't buy it unless you are an actual retailer. Correct. So we've, our site um, is consumer friendly to anyone mm-hmm. who wants to research um, a firearm that they would like to purchase and what they can do is called the firearms finder but then we also have a special private login for our retailers who can log in to place their orders if they like or they can we still use the phone an awful lot for their orders so we sell to licensed retailers we uh, ship all of our um, retail orders the same day but it's still you know focused on strictly the firearms industry um, we had to find a way to really better serve our needs and so over mm-hmm. these past several years you know I've, I've been at the company it'll be 30 years for That's me so crazy. which is crazy next year um, but you know I think the best thing I've done is surrounded myself with a team of people who are smarter than I am who have skill sets that are different than mine who love the industry as much as I do but also people who love firearms and understand what the consumers want so I have a great team behind me that makes it happen excellent and y'all certainly are are a success story so we'll come back and talk more about that but Logan I want to bring you into the conversation because I mean it sort of seems like such a no-brainer and yet it's such a great idea that you know that I think people would have probably never thought of so how did that fishing or hunting trip go with your dad that that went so bad that you were inspired so it really started from kind of my experience uh, working for waiters since I was like 16. But when I've been hunting since I was five years old. Okay. So my dad and I would go out to West Texas. He'd drag me out into a field in the middle of nowhere, West Texas. And, um, you know, it was freezing cold all the time. Wasn't <laughs> sure if I liked it at first. We would dig like a shallow grave, right, to, to lay in the field. And But ever since then, I, I had been like addicted and we had been honey buddies. So okay. about three years ago, I tried to plan a trip for him and I as like a surprise for his birthday. And what ended up happening was um, I went to Google. First outfitter that I saw was like outfitters in, in Kansas that you kill ducks. So we were going to go kill ducks in Oklahoma, and that was the plan. Well, when we got there, we found out that we were double booked. And so what was supposed to be uh, three days of hunting turned to one hunt with 13 other hunters, and we didn't fire a single shot. So 
I was kind of upset that we had gone up there and kind of wasted some time, wasted some money, and, and, you know, overall was just a poor experience. So I was like, why isn't there someone out there solving this problem for the hunting and fishing industry? And so I kind of went to work right then and there. And like you said, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, people that can can help uh, make this idea possible. And so that's when I met some co-founders, uh, people at LSU and, and mergers and acquisition class at LSU and uh, software developers from other SEC schools. Um, and so that's really how the team came together. And yeah, that was and, how the experience was. And probably an idea that, that they were very enthusiastic to jump on board. Like, hey, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's solve this problem. E- exactly, exactly. And in the background from you know, working at Waiters when I was 16, going through that hyper growth phase, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not every, every person can say they started working at a startup when they were 16, but especially one that had so much growth. And, you know, there were a lot of mistakes made along that path that I learned from uh, and, and got to watch firsthand from my dad. Excellent. Well, Laurie, how much of y'all's business is with sport, sport rifles mm-hmm. and guns versus other kind of firearms? Well, the the numbers have fluctuated over over the years. So, you know, go back to the early '50s when we when we began, mm-hmm. and even I'll take a quick step back because we were in the retail business at Steinberg's. Um, which actually started in 1943, which is 10 years before the wholesale business began. But that business, the, the, the retail business at the time, but the wholesale business was built on hunting, the hunting business and long mm-hmm. guns. And so our ratio of long guns to handguns was, you know, 80-20 um, because it was a big hunting business. And then fast forward to, you know, the 90s and 2000s where those numbers have gotten much closer together where finally the handgun business really surpassed the hunting business. So, you know, right now we're probably 60 to 70 percent in handguns Mm -hmm. and another, you know, anywhere between 20 and 35 percent in long guns and rifles of course um, a very big part of the market for sporting purposes but really the hunting business we have seen come back after several years where the hunting business was very soft and to go a little bit Logan on what you said was you know access to public land for hunting and you've got some blue laws still across the country where you're not allowed to hunt on Sundays I'm involved in a big organization called the Congressional Sportsman's Foundation I've been on their board for many years and in fact just rolled off but I'm still active but they help with things much like what you're talking about which I know you're not just talking about hunting on public land but in lodges and you know Mm -hmm. private areas as as well so it's a very big part of you know what we do is to make sure that hunters and wannabe hunters have access to um, places to go hunting and enjoy the sport but over the years the hunting business it became soft for many years has really yeah. picked up uh, in the past several years again which is a, a fantastic thing and then of course with the handguns it's the shooting sports the shooting sports has become such a big part of the firearms industry where hunting was you know the lead story for so so long the shooting sports and the ranges and personal yeah. protection and concealed carry have become and those so are big popular. parts of it no big question. big parts of it yeah. Well, Logan, all right, so let's go back. So you've got this great idea. You put a team together. Mm-hmm. And um, h- how did it take off in such short order? 
so and how did you really get all of the how do you connect to the charters out there i mean how do you uh, charter operators i mean how do you how did you make that happen so that i could find the best charter operator anywhere in the country right by yep. on your platform it, it was one of the bigger challenges we had to overcome uh but first we wanted to validate the idea we wanted to make sure that you know just because i had experienced this problem that you know there are other people out there experiencing this problem so it took a lot of research you know a lot of phone calls you know calling hundreds of sportsmen and, and outfitters and charters that are mm -hmm. out there um and you know what we discovered from that was that the problem was validated and that these businesses just needed help running their business that not every single outfitter or charter captain was meant to be a you know a business owner uh they're you know just like i had to learn from the beginning make my own mistakes they do the same thing um and so really the way we connected with them at first was over the phone uh, cold calling just really trying to do that research understand their needs make sure that the problem we were solving was actually something that they're you know we needed to solve the problem for them because not every uh, operation needs us, but we want, and, and that kind of goes back to the vetting and verifying process of, you know, we don't just want to work with any outfit or charter that's out there because um, we want to make sure that the, we can control the experience for our sportsmen and, and we want to pr provide what, sure, sure. what my dad and I would call first class. And, and so we actually uh, had our own property that we had started uh, and was kind of like the pilot program. So we had built the software um, over about the course of a year and a half and um, started with. Uh, just 10, 10 outfitters uh, to start with. And we had we had kind of had pre-sales up to that point, like of 70, like soft commitments almost. So we had kind of validated that way. And then uh, really with with the outfitters, or, you know, our outfitter that we started in Gainesville, Louisiana, Piro Hunting and Fishing Lodge, really just kind of helped take things off, uh, you know, start transacting through the platform, get people using it. Um, and then, you know, it just started to fall like dominoes when it came to the outfitters. So we went from, um, 10 to at the end of the month it was 19 and then you know now we're at like 260 so in all 50 states or? uh not all 50 states yet but we'll, we'll get there but uh we're really heavily focused in the southeast sure. on texas louisiana arkansas um kind of going up uh, the mid midwest flyway to um kansas and, and missouri that area and uh, that's probably where there's more um demand for hunting and fishing services you, charters right you know Activity? It, sometimes it the reality of it is not on the, the fishing. You can't get better fishing than in Louisiana, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you do have to go further out than you yeah. do in Florida. You know, maybe a little rougher, but you're going to get the best fishing you can get at Venice and Grand mm -hmm. Isle. Like that's sure. that's top tier. Um, but on the hunting side of things, the reality of it is with the changing migrations and everything, the, the Louisiana duck hunting that just over the years, and you probably do, have experienced this at y'all's place or, or know about this. You know, it's just not as good as it once was. So. Uh, there's it's definitely be, been been a few a, a fewer ducks the past couple of years. Really, that's for sure. I was just down there though at our hunting camp at Oak Grove last week um, for a management retreat that mm -hmm. we do there annually, um, and we did see some ducks flying around. So there is some good oh. hope for this weekend. That and the help of a, a, a cool I won't call it a cold front a cool front. <laughs> yeah. So is it a and I don't mean to, to digress, but you mentioned something that just triggered a question, Lori. I mean, do we see women in hunting and, and um, do women hunt? Oh, absolutely they do. And the most fun about having this lovely uh, hunting lodge is yeah. inviting other women to join us. In fact, um, there's uh, one of our customers, a, a, a female, she's a VP of a very large national retailer, 
coming to hunt with us this weekend and she's never hunted and you would be amazed and this is both men and women how many people we have taken down to the camp who've never hunted before and if you've ever been to oak grove you know it's not much of a struggle um we're just you know eating and drinking all day you get up in the morning you hunt you're done by 8 8 30 and then you're free for the rest of the day but we have great guides down there but we make it easy we make it simple no drama and we teach you how to hunt and to use your firearm safely down there you know we have a safety video that we show all of our guests but women absolutely hunt in fact i've got a hunt coming up in about two weeks where I've got uh, probably 50% of our guests are going to be women. Interesting. And and do you have female users on your platform, Absolute, Logan? Absolutely, we do. And, and that was kind of what I wanted to chime in there was women is actually the fastest growing demographic in the hunting and fishing industry um, just by by nature of more, get, more, more people getting into it, having yeah. more access or more women having access. And so, you know, while we sometimes call ourselves a sports men's like paradise it's definitely the sportsmen sports and women's person, paradise and, right? and, it, and it's yeah the sports person is actually one of the terms that that we like to use uh and, and yeah so it is growing very fast and, and we absolutely want to provide more access to all different types you're listening to out to lunch i'm stephanie regal i'm talking to logan moe of mallard bay and Lori lipsy aronson of lipsy's Lori. Because I guess it would be the you know the perception that's the whole good old boys thing right down oh, at the hunting sure. camp. Oh sure, of course or, it is, or something like that. And and I mean perception is something, especially when I guess we're talking about firearms. Do you have to? How have you overcome that or continue to battle that, Laurie? Especially when you're marketing or positioning the company, and people are like, oh my god, guns. You know, I mean because it's it's an issue. I'm well, what we have found in the past several years one of the reasons more and more women have gotten into the shooting sports and and hunting as well but particularly the shooting sports is because of concealed carry and personal protection um so you know over the past decade there's been an enormous surge in firearms purchases by women particularly for personal protection and, and concealed carry so actually i started a women's shooting group a couple of years ago, it was about two years before COVID started, called Sippin' and Shootin'. And I knew that I could <laughs> attract <great>. women with <laughs> wine um, to come shoot. Now let me do clarify. We and shoot or we, do we know shoot you absolutely, <laughs> absolutely never sip and shoot. But I like how it sounded. It does. Right. So, but you absolutely go shooting and then you sip afterwards. That is okay. the rule. But we had some great events where the, the women was, I just started with the list, about 250 friends or acquaintances, people over the years going, you know, I'm, my hunting husband is never here, you know, during the, the winter months, and I've never been hunting, or I would never, I would love to go to the range. I've never shot a handgun. I've shot a long gun, but not a handgun. So we started sipping and shooting, which is women only, and the best part about it is that because most of the time women feel intimidated by their male counterparts for um, for instruction. They feel intimidated or they're being judged. So I have a few female instructors, but I also have the guys who are allowed to come. Mm-hmm. I have several certified instructors at my office, and these men are so good, but they know that the reason these ladies are here is to learn, and it is a non threatening environment in terms of you're doing this wrong you're holding this incorrectly but this is how you safely hold a handgun this is how you load your firearm you know it's always the rules of safety come first but they teach that Mm -hmm. and so we're finally after we had great success before 
COVID with a few hundred women who had passed through our events. And then, of course, COVID hit and nobody wanted to touch anything. So we really couldn't have, you know, any programs. So we, we just have our first one actually coming up uh, next week down at the new range that is opened up here. So that's going to be filled with women ready to, you know, shoot handguns at the range and to learn how to use different firearms. So interesting. Well, so Logan, um, your, your company's growing. You've built up this platform. How are you all financing it? Have you had in attracted investors? I know you've won some pitch competitions. Y yes. So, so all of the above, really, okay. for us. Um, we, we've, we started with a, kind of like a, a friends and family seed round and, and kind of opened up to a few VCs, uh, one being Cali Capital out of, out of New Orleans, um, or the Thibodeau area, really. Yeah. Um, and in that that kind of opened the door for a lot of introductions and a lot of momentum. Um, so we, we raised our first seed round, which is about 445,000. Nice. Um, and, and that kind of propelled us the momentum and, and gave us the support to continue building out the product through launch. We launched the product and um, our growth kind of spoke for itself. If you, you know, we launched last November and since then we have grow, grown 1200% um, and in, in all categories of the business. So that's really, uh, important but what we most recently did started in April we started raising a, a much larger funding round so we set out to raise 1.5 million uh, at a um, 9 million pre-money valuation we we ended with uh, 1.8 million so we ended up oversubscribing um, and you know a majority of those investors just came from uh, one specific kind of momentum event which we call which is a pitch competition mm -hmm. so we did the venture challenge like the year prior that led to our first funding round and then we got kind of on a whim submitted to the rice business plan competition which is a two million dollar like the biggest startup competition there is for students and that turned into um what well, ended up being like more than three hundred thousand investments so we won two hundred eighteen thousand in prizes but it led to meetings and introductions that led to well over 600,000 of our rounds. And I think that's really the value of those pitch competitions. Oh, from with right, the network the, and the connections. Yeah. And that's what they preached to us actually at the beginning right. of the competition. They were like, go out there and network, you know, go yep. out and make friends. And, and we were the, the, you know, just the good old boys from, like you said, from Louisiana that had started this, this hunting company that was the only marketplace. We were completely different from everyone else. We were also okay. the first LSU company to ever make it there. Well, congratulations on Thank that. You. And how much has, has your dad helped you given his experience i mean waiter you know as you mentioned phenomenal growth and really sort of created a whole new model right, right. for this online ordering platform and, and laurie you also have worked under a powerhouse dad who grew the company so much and y'all share that in common right yeah i'm i'm so grateful for what my dad has taught me in business like i i'm not one to to kind of take it lightly the fact mm -hmm. that like i've learned pretty much everything I know from my dad and, and like other than going to school and graduating and get a finance degree which was one thing that you know he he wanted me to do that he never got to do he regretted not finishing school um, so you know I went to go into finance and I didn't always think I was going to be an entrepreneur but mm -hmm. what I realized after a certain amount of time was it was just in my DNA yeah. you know my great-grandfather was an entrepreneur grandfather and my dad so you know having learned at waiter definitely kind of gave me the the inkling of like that's what I wanted to do but at the end of the day, I have to go out and make my own mistakes. And he definitely empowers me to do that. And he's right a lot of the time. But hey, sometimes I'm right, I guess. <laughs> you know, but but I, I'm very much 
able to learn from my own mistakes and he's always wanted me to do that because that was how he had to learn. Right? And, and Laurie, you were, you were probably as young as Logan when you really came into a high leadership position in the company under your dad. It was, yeah. and that was 30, yeah, 30 years ago. I was so I young I, then. I <laughs> <laughs> well, we're the same age, so that's okay, right? We can, no. But how, um, working with your dad, and he's up given you a lot of space to, to run the company, but also helped mentor you? He has. My dad has always been my mentor and my best mentor. And especially, you know, there, there's a dynamic uh, with families and family businesses. And I'm so fortunate because I do brag on this all the time that there are many, many family businesses out there and there are always challenges with that. And for me, um, I've not had those challenges that I've had to meet and to face as other family businesses because it is just my dad and me. And when he gave me the reins to become the president, which was actually 20 years ago, so it's, it's been it's been a few years. Um, so 20 years ago, for someone being such a type A personality and such a dominant, and he was a micromanager, and he mm. would admit that, you know, sitting right here, he knows he was. But he, like you said, let you make your own mistakes. And he, when he took a step back, he truly did. And he let me make my mistakes, but he let me lead in the way that I wanted to. And he told me long, long time ago that when you're put in charge, take charge. And so I really had to do that. And I had to build up a little confidence that I didn't really realize that I had. And so he put me in charge, so I took charge. And it really, um, like I said, was such a benefit once I learned what my strengths and weaknesses were yeah. in business. And that's when I started surrounding myself with team members who really helped me build this business. We're almost out of time, but I have a super quick, quick question for both of you. Uh, Lori, I mean, is there... Any of your kids looking to come up under the company? What's the succession plan? And and Logan, is it a? Do y'all have an exit strategy? Is it to, to grow quick and and get out? I don't think you're looking to sell Lipsies. No, we are not. But un, you know, unfortunately, my kids are not looking to uh, be in the business. And you know, they're still young. They're 23 and 26, but they don't live here. They both graduated college and chose to you know, move elsewhere. And I have to absolutely let them do that. The good news is that I've got 155 people at Lipsy's at the moment who are quite capable of um, running our company today as well as into the future. So we're in a good place. And, and Logan, what about your... Yes, so for, for us, um, kind of like uh, it was with Waiter, my, my goal for the company is, one, I, I wanted to provide myself uh, a, an opportunity to hunt and fish for every day for the rest of my life if I could, and um, also provide a return for my investors and, and our investors at the company and, and you know, make a success out of a Baton Rouge company that was started by some college kids that, you know, maybe some people counted out at one point, but, <laughs> you know, I learned how to raise money and, and you know, we're going to take this thing to the moon. And, so. and Baton Rouge has come up with some really great companies. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had some of them on this show. And Logan Moe and Lori Lipsy Aronson, it's been a, a treat to hear how you are growing and positioning your respective companies. And there are so many lessons and inspirations that other people can learn from you both. So thank you all for taking the time to join me today and share your stories on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Stephanie. Yes, thanks for having me. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Logan Moe of Mallard Bay and Laurie Lipsy Aronson of Lipsy's. We had to edit this show to fit into the time slot here on WRKF. You can hear our unedited version and learn more about Mallard Bay and Lipsy's by going to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. 
You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsbatonrouge.la and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. Photos are taken by Eric Otts, and you can find more of Eric's photos on Instagram at at Acro, that's A-C-R-E-A-U-X. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily, 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. And by Oxbow Rum Distillery, local family-grown small batch rum embodying the essence of Louisiana sugarcane harvest. OxbowRumDistillery.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.